John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Lord, as it has come to you now, we pray that we could have a better understanding of your light and your life, Lord, and what that means for us. Let us go represent that light. Let us go live the life in all ways in this dark world that needs you. Open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law in your name. Amen. Good evening, everybody. We will be in John 1. John 1 tonight. I want to thank everybody for not sitting so close to me. I appreciate that. Um, John 1. Last week we were introducing ourselves in the book of John. And tonight we're going to continue on that theme. Last week we really did verses 1 through 4 and we explained what it meant that to have the word and the importance of that. And if you weren't with us last week or if you weren't watching online, I encourage you to get a copy of that, listen to that to make sure you understand who the word is because that is vitally important as we go through this. And we touched just a little bit on the word and then we got into verse 4 of life. So tonight we're doing light, life, and darkness. Light, life, and darkness. May I please remind you of the goal of the book of John? The goal is stated very clearly at the end of John, in John chapter 20, verse 30. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That is the stated purpose of the book, that you would be able to read this and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing you may have life in his name. We spent a lot of time last week talking about the differences between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, and John that is very unique in many ways whatsoever. Once again, if you weren't with us, I encourage you to get that so you can follow along and see the difference here as we go through this. I want you to understand the importance here of light, life, and darkness. If you don't mind, when you get a chance to put that slide up there. But light, life, and darkness. With that being said, can you go with me to Genesis chapter 1 and then Revelation chapter 21? Genesis 1. In Revelation chapter 21. I want to carry on this theme here of light and life and darkness. And I want you to see that this is a concept. This is an eternal concept. From Genesis to Revelation, this idea of light, life, and darkness. Go back with me to the very beginning. And let's ask ourselves the question of what is light? That's vitally important. What is light? We know what light is because God is light. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message which we have heard from the beginning and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God is light. Now let that just kind of sink in a little bit here as he gets that slide up. What is light? God is light. What isn't light? We're not talking about the sun. Because what you're going to see here in Genesis 1, start with me in Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God, God divided the light from the darkness. Right there, from the beginning, you see light and darkness. And I think it's vitally important that we know that this is not the sun. The sun is not created until day four. 
Go ahead and take a look then at verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So the light that you have here in Genesis 1 is not the sun. This is something different. What is this light? That's what's fascinating about this. Now let me share with you a couple points about the Bible. Please understand, the Bible is not a science textbook. That throws people. Because when you go read Genesis 1, you have all these questions on creation. The Bible is not supposed to be a science textbook. In fact, scientifically, how are you supposed to understand and grasp the concept of something created out of nothing? Science is built off of experimentation and observation. When you have something created out of nothing, you cannot have experimentation and observation. That really throws some people. But Genesis 1 is not a science book to teach you about creation. The Bible is not a book on angels. How often do we have questions on angels? How could angels sin? How, I mean, were they given a chance? Do they have free will? Can they still sin? Does God love Satan like he loves us? The Bible is not a book on angels. Okay, what was God doing? What is God from eternity to eternity has existed? What was going on before Genesis 1-1? That's not the purpose of the Bible either. The purpose of the Bible is to explain to you where sin came from and your need for a Savior. That's the purpose of the Bible. And we will run into problems and issues when we try to make the Bible be something that it's not called to be. And I see a lot of Christians with a lot of great questions and they get tripped up because they go through the Bible and they say, why doesn't God just tell us what heaven's like? Why doesn't God tell us about the angels? Why doesn't God tell us about creation the way of the details we want? Because that's not the purpose of it. So what you have in Genesis 1 is enough information to let you know that the omnipotent, all-powerful God created something out of nothing. And what he chose to create at the beginning was light. Not sun, not stars, just light. Now scientifically, we can try to describe light. We know that light is actually something. We know it has a speed, 186,000 miles per second. We know these things, but we're talking about the light of the sun. This is something that seems to be unique. It seems to be possibly special. Look at the description God gives on the statements of creation. Take a look at verse 10. God saw that it was good. Verse 12, he saw that it was good. And the same in 18, 21, and 25. But look how he describes the light. Verse 4, and God saw the light that it was good. Now, I don't want to look too much into that, but I do find that very interesting that he gets a special recognition that the light was good. And that phrase has become such a part of our vernacular. Let there be light, and there was light. Four words, excuse me, eight words. In the Hebrew, it's only four words. The closest we have is a translation called Young's Literal Translation. They translate it like this. He says, let light be, and light is. That's what it is. This concept of light. So we have established that this concept of light is something special, this special, unique thing. Genesis, now go with me now to Revelation, please. Let me lay a little bit more groundwork here. Revelation 21. 
And let's talk about now going into eternity in the light. We've already established the light at the beginning. Now let's go to the light at the end. Revelation 21, start in verse 22 with me. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. I find that fascinating. 24. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. This eternal city is illuminated by verse 23, the Lamb. Jump ahead to the next chapter, verse 5 of 22. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Please understand that we would love to see that verse, that concept that just comes out and says, for anybody questioning, Jesus is the eternal God. But I want you to start seeing things where it's just so utterly obvious. If you would never have met my wife, and you see me after church, and I'm near Dawn, and I have my arm around Dawn, I give her a kiss goodbye, I tell her I love her, I say, do you want me to bring the van up? And I'm loading up her children, and I say, see you at home. I think you can infer that that's probably the pastor's wife. Did you see what it says there real quick? Verse 23, the lamb is its light. Did you see what it says in verse 5 of chapter 22? For the Lord God gives them light. I like little verses like that. That if you don't mind marking up your Bible, make a nice big arrow from one to the other there. You just see these things in there, and I just wanted to throw that out real quick. So we have what light is. God is light. From the beginning to the end, it goes into eternity. What light isn't? We're not talking about the sun, the moon, or the stars. We're talking about the pure simplicity of let light be. And this is what the Bible is trying to tell us. What does this light do? This light reveals to us that we're sinners. This light shows us that we need a Savior. This light reveals to us the nature of God. And this light helps us in our walk. One last point about this before we move on. Jump back to John 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I think it's important to note that it is for man. This is not for angels. This is not for animals. You do not have to share the gospel with your cat. This is for men. God became man. Jesus is the Savior of man. God became man to save man. Verse 4, this light is for mankind. That is the stated purpose here of the book of John, and this is what we will see. Now that we have laid the groundwork of light, as you can see up here in this slide, Taking first, excuse me, John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Those are our words tonight, folks. Life and light. See the connection. And that's what I wanted to show you here. The life, the light, the life, the light. They all go together. If I want life, I need to have the light. But for me to know life, I need to have light. And you can see this circle where they just correlate with each other. But you see darkness being on the outside. Look at John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me should not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There's our three words for tonight. So therefore, if you have a non-saved loved one, and you want them to have life, 
They need to see the light and come out of darkness. If they are in darkness, they will not have life because they have not seen the light. You can see how all these words are connected to each other, and that's why we have to understand light, life, and darkness to fully grasp this. So when you sit there in tears over that person that's not saved, it's because they are in darkness. And when you got saved and when I got saved, we used the phrase, but we did see the light. And that light gave us life. And now that I have life, guess what I do? Back to verse 4. My life is in the light of men. You can see how everything connects. And that's what we're going to establish tonight, is the importance of the light and the life and the darkness. Because take a look at verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Depending on your translations, I find it interesting when you run into a word like comprehend, how nearly any translation can translate it differently. Some of your translations did not comprehend it, did not overcome it, did not perceive it, never extinguish it. Darkness is not going to win. And darkness is not going to grasp light. For some of you that got saved later on in life, can you remember what you were thinking, what your mind process was before you got saved? And then after you got saved, and now you go back and you can look, and you can look now with the mind that has been illuminated by Christ. And you can look back now with these people that are in darkness. You can stop and say, I remember that. And you can remember all the times people spoke to you and it carried nothing to you in any way whatsoever. I got saved when I was a junior in high school. And I have these distinct memories of Jim Crager coming up to me as a freshman and coming up to me as a sophomore. And I remember him sharing the gospel with me. And at that time, I was in darkness. I did not care about light. I did not care about life. And I still remember the words he said. And I didn't care. Now, after I've been saved, I hear myself saying those words. But now I'm saying them illuminated by light. And I grasp and understand but at the time, the darkness did not comprehend it. And we will get into a little bit of why the darkness did not comprehend it as we go in here in a little bit more. But we'll just pause real quick. Pause real quick. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about light, life, and darkness before we move on? I want to make sure we're all on the same page with this. Okay. Nice little summary verse before we move on. Psalm 36, 9. For with you is the fountain of life, in your light, we see light. There's our words again. For with you is the fountain of life. Life is found in the Lord, and in your light, we see light. The only way I see light is through the Lord. In this crazy world right now, have you had conversations with people that are walking in darkness? They cannot comprehend, perceive, or understand the eternal things that are going on at this moment. They can't, because they're not walking in the light. So, here's the problem with this light. I can't go near it. 1 Timothy 6 says this, speaking of God, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, which no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. It's unapproachable light. I can't go near it. And to be honest, I don't want to go near it. Verse 5, I'm darkness. I don't comprehend it. Jump ahead with you to John 3. Darkness doesn't want light. 
the example that we used out here many times before, if you're sound asleep in your room in darkness, you don't want anybody turning the lights on. It hurts your eyes, it bothers you, it throws you for a loop, and if, quite honestly, it makes some of us angry to have the lights turned on while we're sleeping. Okay, now imagine this spiritually. The Bible says that when you're not saved, you're basically walking asleep. The lights come on, darkness hates it. Take a look at these verses. John 3, start 19 with me. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. There is so much in those verses right there. Verse 19, light has come into the world, but men love darkness. Men love darkness. Men are doing what they want to do. They are. They love darkness and their deeds are evil. And verse 20, for anybody practicing evil hates the light. This is why Christians, we will not be accepted into society. This is why our morality will not be cheered on, because people doing evil hate the light. I think we have to reach the point as Christians where we realize we should never and will never be the most popular people in the room. It just doesn't happen. If you want to be religious and let everybody like you, Become a universalist. That way you can look at any religion and any person and just say, I accept you. You say Allah, I say great. You say Brahma, I say great. You say Jehovah, I say great. You say you, I say great. Who doesn't like a universalist? The problem is they're walking in darkness. A Christian comes into the room and says, I want to let everybody know in this room, and unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you're going to an eternal hell of utter darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth and fire. And would anybody like to be my friend now? It just, no. The world doesn't like light. I, I see this a lot with our twin girls. They've reached a point when they're doing something they shouldn't do. As I've joked with you before, if you're ever hiding behind the couch in my living room, nothing good's going on. They don't hide behind the couch. They're unique. They go under their bed. So I don't know how many times, and I've shared this with you before, if you've, if you've never had twins, what we've noticed with twins is this. Sin nature is exceptionally more. It's exponentially bigger. It's not just double. It's just, it's just I don't know why. Sin nature has just taken off with two of them. And they love, and maybe it's because when our boys were little, we did not have the electronics that we have now. They love to steal a phone or an iPad and go hide under their bed and, and they can turn on YouTube and they just watch. And if we say, girls, where are you? There will be no response because men love darkness. If we say, what are you doing? There's no response because men love darkness. If we say, girls, come out here right now, they will not come out because why? Men love darkness. This is just the reality of the world we live in. I don't want my darkness brought to light. That's why I hate light. And I don't want the responsibility that comes with light. I don't want someone to shine light into my life to tell me what I'm doing is wrong. So therefore, that's why, verse 20, everyone practicing evil hates the light. William Lane Craig has a great quote about this. 
Because a lot of times we run into apologetics and we just feel like, you know what, if I just had one more better answer, everybody I run into would just get saved. And it's not about having that great answer. It's about someone being convicted of being in darkness and wanting to come to the light. He says this. He goes, therefore, when a person refuses to come to Christ, it's never just because of a lack of evidence or because of intellectual difficulties. At root, he refuses to come because he willingly ignores and rejects the drawing of God's Spirit on his heart. No one in the final analysis fails to become a Christian because of a lack of arguments. He fails to become a Christian because he loves darkness rather than light and wants nothing to do with God. Now that's very reassuring to me because there's multiple times where somebody asks me a question and I do not have an articulate answer to give back to them. As much as I pray and study, I don't. And then I've walked away so defeated saying, that person's now going to hell because I could not answer their question. No. They're going to hell because they're choosing to live in darkness rather than light. And that's what John 3 tells me, is they want darkness. They don't want light. So what's the answer to this problem? The answer to this problem is Jesus John 12, 46, Christ, I have come as light into the world. Whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. The answer is pointing them back towards Christ. Acts 26, verse 18, to open their eyes in order to bring them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is Jesus speaking. To bring them from darkness to light. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6 sums it up beautifully. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The reason you got saved and the reason I got saved is because we were walking in darkness and at one time the light shone in our lives and we wanted it. The light shone because God shone light to us and it brought us out of darkness and that's how we got saved. I have these dreams of answering that question from the non-believer, and they say, James, your answer is so wise and so much wisdom and so eloquent, they hit their knees right then and get saved. It hasn't happened. People get saved because they're convicted of being in darkness because light has shone in their lives, and when they're convicted, they stop and they say, I want the Savior. That's what the light does. The light shines into darkness to reveal the sin there that needs to be taken care of. But back to the point of the separation of light and dark that we saw in Genesis, that we saw in Revelation, and now that we've laid the foundation of salvation, please understand then that means every single person in this world is either in the light or in darkness. There is nobody half in light, half in darkness. You're either saved or you're not. You're either redeemed or you're not. You're either bought or you're not. There is no middle ground. I don't know how many times I've asked somebody, they'll come up and they'll mention a person, I'll say, are they saved? They're like, well, I mean, they're really asking a lot of questions. That, that's not saved. It's almost like we've taken salvation and we've got saved, not saved, but we lump so many people in this area of half light, half darkness, and I think it's a hopeful thing where, Lord, I hope that they are. Where really, the Bible makes it clear that there's this line. It's just a line. It's either light or darkness. 
And I see that in Genesis, I see that in Revelation, and I see Jesus saying that right now, where it's either you're saved or you're not. Now the problem is I don't know. And Corinthians tells me judge nothing before the time. So therefore I have to just go and say I just want to keep presenting the gospel, I want to keep presenting life, I want to keep presenting light, because I don't know who's really walking in darkness. And it goes back to that John 8, 12 verse that we talked about earlier, where Christ says, I'm the light. And that's the importance there. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And there's our three words again. Light, life, and darkness. Remember the stated goal again of the book of John that we find in John chapter 20 is this idea of what? And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And if I want the life, that needs, means I need to get into the light. And that's why it's so important to understand light. Back to John 1, please. All righty. So we've laid the foundation of word, light, life, and darkness. Ongoing themes to the book of John. Now we can start picking up a little bit of the narrative of the book. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Please note this is John the Baptist, not the Apostle John. And we're going to get to our introduction to John next week, but right now we're just going to kind of talk a little bit about it. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was not, and excuse me, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we're introduced to John the Baptist, which we'll get into more next week. But it carries on the same idea here of light. Note the goal again, verse 7. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Please understand, in this world that's crazy, never forget your eternal goal is to be a witness for the light so people can get saved. That's, that's why we're here. And I just see in this world right now, and I just see in this society right now, so many people losing focus of that goal and getting themselves so caught up in so many other things. I'm called to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That's the goal in my life. Verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming to the world. I think verse 9 is really one of the most important verses in the Bible. Because every now and then you run into that person that really has a difficulty with the concept of God. And, and I don't know where they come from, this idea, but they come back with this idea of what about the people living in the Amazon? What about those people that are never have heard the gospel living in the middle of South America or the people living in Africa or the people living out in the mountains of Asia and they have never heard the gospel in any way whatsoever and these people will die. And I remember there's a very famous 
missionary group, and they ended their little speeches like this. Every day, and they had the number, and I can't remember what it was, so I'll just pick 10,000. Every day, there's 10,000 people that die that have never heard the name Jesus. And I remember as a young believer hearing that, thinking, then we have utterly failed. All these people just, just were born, existed, and now go to hell because we didn't? I can't back that up scripturally. I can't back it up scripturally that these people never had a chance at salvation. And let me give you my case for this, and I'll show you why. Verse 9, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now, I'm going to take, take this how I, how I see it. And if you disagree with it, that's fine. I would love to talk to you afterwards. I believe that every person coming into the world has the light of the gospel shine on them at one time or another. That's what I believe. And let me back this up scripturally. This is not just an opinion. I see it in the book of Acts. I see the Ethiopian eunuch where God, through the Spirit, brought Philip out to the desert to share the gospel with him. That here is a man, the Ethiopian eunuch, that obviously had a desire to know Christ. So God says, I will move the puzzle pieces around. So therefore, I believe that there's somebody in the Amazon that wants to know the gospel, if they stop and say, I believe there's something more, they may not use the word gospel, but they stop and they look up at night and they see the stars and they see the moon and they say there's something bigger than me and they realize how big the universe is and how little they are and there's an overwhelming sense of woe is me. I believe the light has just shone on them and I believe that God will move the puzzle pieces around just like he did with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But let me back that up with Scripture. Can you go with me to Acts 19? Excuse me, uh, Psalm 19. Psalm 19. We have an Old Testament passage and New Testament passage that I want to use to back this up. Psalm 19, go and start with me in verse uh, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So I don't speak that foreign language, but creation does. So therefore, no matter who you are in this world, you can look up and see the same sun I can see. You can see the same moon I can see. Now, depending where you're at in the world, you won't see the same stars I see. But you'll see something. And at that moment, that person has to stop and say, do I believe there's something else out there? Is that not light shining on them? Is that not God trying to speak to their heart? I won't make you turn there, but Romans 1 carries the same concept. It says in Romans 1 verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His, meaning God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All excuses are taken away. Creation is God's biggest witnessing tool. God's biggest witnessing tool is creation. I think that's why there's such an attack on the concept of a six-day creation. It's because if Satan can plant the thought of evolution, if Satan can plant the thought of chance and happenstance and luck, etc., it takes away the idea of a created being in a created world by a God that created them that we are now accountable to. 
And I think it's important that the light shines on every man. Verse 9, John 1. Psalm 19 shows me that the heavens declare, and there's no place where that language is not understood. Romans 1.20 tells me that they're without excuse. And the book of Acts gives me examples of people that saw the light, wanted the light, and God brought the right missionary at the right time. So don't take this the wrong way. I don't lose sleep over the people in the Amazon. Because I know that they can look up and see the same sun, the same moon, and stop and say, did something make that or what? And if their heart is stirred by the light, I believe firmly God will bring somebody into their life to explain to them who Jesus Christ is. That's the beauty of the gospel, and I think that's why John 1, 9 is so vitally important. This is why the concept of a light is so important. Once again, we're not talking about the sun's light. We're talking about God's light. Now the question comes, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Do people want the light? We know in John 3 that a lot of people don't. So what are we supposed to do with this concept of light? Well, let's take it now. We've covered the theology of light, life and darkness at the beginning. We've gone through the narrative of the text. Now we need to apply this, folks. What's it mean for you and I to go out and be lights? Matthew 5 says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but later on in the Gospels, he said, but the light will no longer be with you. And he said, now you are the light of the world. So as believers, I have a responsibility to go out and say, I'm a light in this world. What does that look like? Well, listen to this, Philippians 2, 15. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the first question I have to ask is, in this crooked and perverse generation, are you shining as a light in the world? This is an opinion of mine, and I think I could back it up scripturally if pushed, that a lot of times people that confess Christ, and they know they're saved, they believe they're saved, there's fruit of salvation, they feel there's an emptiness. Because I think they forget that they're supposed to shine as a light in the world. And I firmly believe the passages of work as if working for the Lord, not for man. So whatever job or occupation you have, yes, go be the best you can be of that job. If you're the farmer, go be the farmer that shines for the Lord. If you're a teacher, go be a teacher that shines for the Lord. The problem is I think sometimes we say, okay, I'm going to go and work hard for the Lord, but we forget that I'm supposed to be shining for the Lord. And I believe if you take the heart of evangelism out of a believer... Life becomes pretty dull and pretty meaningless. Yeah, you read your Bible. Yeah, you do your devotions. Yes, you try to stay moral. Yes, you try to stay pure. Yes, you try to raise your kids in Christ. And those are all good, godly things. Whatever you do, do for the glory of the Lord. But you just stop and you think, I think there's something else. Maybe it's because we're not shining as lights in the world in this crooked and perverse generation. I just want to encourage you, if you're here tonight... If you're watching at home, and you kind of stop and say, I, I believe all this, but I just think there's something missing. May I ask you, are you shining as a light in this world? Can you go with me to 2 Corinthians 4? 2 Corinthians 4. What does it mean to shine for the light? 
in the world as you go to 2 Corinthians 4. Charles Spurgeon did a great message about that, and he summed it up in three points. How does the light shine? He says a light can be a guide. Think of a flashlight. So a light can shine as a guiding light in this dark world. A light can shine as a warning light. Think of a lighthouse telling you there's danger. A light can also shine, he says, that cheers the heart. Think of the glow of Christmas lights. So how can you shine? You can shine by being a guiding light in this dark world. You can shine by being a warning light in this dark world. You can also shine by being a cheering light in this dark world. There's lots of ways to shine, folks. We just have to have the heart to do it. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 with me. Verse 4. Whose mind the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. People's eyes are blinded. They don't want to see the light. And the enemy is doing everything he can to cover their eyes so they can't see the light. So what do we do? Verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray that these veiled, blinded eyes would be opened. And as they are opened, let me shine the light of Christ in their life. What I've noticed is sometimes that veil is lifted for an instant. You've got that coworker that all of a sudden, out of the blue, they're asking you a question. You a question. The veil's lifted for a moment. I remember one time we were up in Toledo and we were doing this um, VBS um, for, to Muslim kids. And you think about that, a VBS to Muslim kids. And so they have these little color sheets that the kids are doing. There was this one kid there, and he had to color the sheet, and on the sheet was the word gospel. And so he's working the sheet, and I'm just talking to him a little bit. He says, gospel. He goes, what is the gospel? Right then and there, the veil was lifted for a brief moment. What is the gospel? I'll tell you the gospel. The gospel means good news. And here's the good news. And then just give them a quick 30-second, one-minute gospel presentation. And at that moment, the veil was lifted, the blinders are off, the light shines in, and then you get out of the way. I, I can just give you example after example. I remember one time someone sitting at our house, and the subject of Christianity came up. They knew I was a pastor. They knew that we were believers. We've talked many times before. And they just stopped one time. They just said very sincerely, and said, so what exactly is a Christian? Veil lifted, blinders off, light shining. For the next five minutes, explain what a Christian is, then get out of the way. Just be prepared for those moments where you look at that coworker, that neighbor, that friend, or that family member, and you see, guess what? The veil is lifted for an instant. It's time to shine. This is the beauty of shining all the time, is you don't have to say, oh, where's my on switch? There's a constant light coming out of your life, so that way when the veil is lifted, you can stop and represent Christ to them. What do we call that? We call that a walk. That's where that idea comes from. It's your walk. A couple quick verses here as we get ready to close. What's it mean to have a walk? 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And a nice summary verse to finish it. Psalm 43, verse 3. 
Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Is your walk a walk of light? Is your walk a walk of truth? Are they leading you? Last point and then we're done. I think it's interesting in Psalm 43.3. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is the portable place where they had the Ark of the Covenant and it started with the time of Moses and Joshua went on for a few hundred years until Solomon built a temple. I love studying the temple and the tabernacle. There's so much symbolism in there. Hebrews backs that up. Spoken about in the book of Revelation. I think it's a good study. So when I saw that tabernacle, it's almost like the Lord was saying, okay, connect this thought. Okay, now just just follow along with me real quick here. So in the tabernacle, as you walk into the tabernacle, on the outside, you have your your bronze laver where you would wash, and you have your your, um, altar where you would sacrifice the animals. That's on the outside. Now, once you get into the tabernacle or the temple, you have the altar of incense, you have the table of showbread, and then you have the menorah, or the candlestick, or the lampstand, depending on your translation. Now, this is what's interesting specifically about the tabernacle. The tabernacle had four skins that went over it. So this tabernacle, the innermost skin was white linen. So if you were in the tabernacle, you'd see the white linen. It would look very pretty. On top of the white linen, you had black goat hair. On top of the black goat hair, now you had ram skin dyed red. And then on top of that, you had some type of probably badger skin or something like that that was a water-resistant skin that looked probably pretty ugly from the outside. But it was beautiful the inside. The reason I bring this up is you have four coverings over that tabernacle. No outside light was coming in. The only light in the tabernacle would have been the menorah. What a beautiful picture of light and darkness. No outside light creeps into the tabernacle. It's only the menorah that God designed, God created, and he said, you need to keep that thing burning with oil. Is that not a beautiful picture there of this understanding that the only light I can have as a walking temple of the Holy Spirit has to be the light that God puts in me. I can't do it on my own. And I just think this concept of light is just a beautiful thing. And I hope that we can just scratch the surface on this. This is a deep subject. And it's one of those that we could just keep going on and on. And there's verse after verse about light that we did not even get into. But I hope we laid the groundwork of understanding this light that goes back from Genesis to Revelation that is a special light. It's a light that shows us our need of a Savior. It shows us that we are sinners. It reveals the nature of God. It helps us in our walk. It's the light that leads us to life. It's the light that we have when we have life. It's the light that brings us out of darkness and we're called to walk in this light and be children of light, to wear the armor of light and go represent this light in this very crooked and perverse generation. Any final questions, comments about anything here tonight before we close up? All righty. Hey, pray with me, please. Lord, we read the verses. Help us to apply them. Let us be light. Give us opportunities to shine. And Lord, when that opportunity comes, let us not hide our light under a basket. Let us have a boldness and a love for you. And let us keep an eternal perspective in all ways. 
thank you for being the light of the world, shining into our dark lives in your name. Amen. In way of announcements, we're doing a winter clothing giveaway February 15th and 16th. You can start bringing in items, I believe, on February 7th. More details are coming soon. Those can be put in room 5. Uh, Donna is heading that up with some of the gals out here at church. It's going to be in the foyer. We're only doing winter clothing giveaway. Uh, this is not the other stuff that typically happens at a garage sale giveaway. If you have any questions about that, you can see Donna. We have prayer sheets on the back table. If you haven't been with us, we spend the first six weeks, the first 40 days here of the new year in prayer over different topics. Go ahead and grab one of those if you want back there. If you're watching online, we can have one sent to you. Pat also does a great job of putting them on the Facebook page so that you can pray along with us as well. New Our Daily Breads for the month of January are back there for large print if you haven't grabbed one of those, and I think that's most everything that is going on. Uh, a couple quick updates here just want to share with everybody. Um, Nicholas and Heather Schwiebert, that you guys know that worship out here with us, they had their little baby Owen last Friday, and they knew that he had a heart issue. Owen has been in surgery all day, a six to eight hour heart surgery. So just continue to keep Owen in prayer for a safe, effective procedure and recovery. Uh, Nicholas and Heather are going to be up there at Mott's in uh, Michigan for the next couple weeks, probably with them as he recovers. So as the Lord brings them to mind, please continue to keep them in prayer there and uh, just for God's hand of health to be upon them in all way. So hey, you guys have a good week. God bless. We'll catch you face-to-face -face Sunday or next Wednesday or online then. Take care.